0: Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday and it is um, September the 14th, 2018. My goodness, how the calendar seems to be advancing ever faster. Maybe it has something to do with as you get older, time flies more rapidly, perhaps. I uh, Thank you for joining me. Hope this has been a good week, Uh, certainly a somber week, the 17th. Uh, Anniversary of the terror attacks of 9-11 were commemorated just a couple of days ago Also for uh, my Jewish friends and listeners out there, we celebrate the Jewish New Year But no matter how you measure the year, I hope that this uh, coming year brings you all happiness, health, and hopefully peace Uh, Very turbulent times, much to be concerned about And we seem to have a a crop of lunatics uh, all too frequently Uh, Becoming political leaders, so-called And uh, that's what I really want to address today Where we are 17 years after the terror attacks You know, it was September 11, 2001 That motivated me to do this radio program And everything else that I've done in the wake of those uh, horrific murders Because that's what it was It was a mass murder committed in America The body count is not done more people are still perishing because of their exposure to toxins when the Trade Center towers collapsed, releasing the toxins, asbestos. Uh, God knows what else was thrown into the air. Um, and today at least 10,000 people remain sick. Uh, over $7 billion, I believe is the number, $7 billion allocated for their treatment under something known as the Zadruga the bill. A drugger was a police officer who was the first to die because of the contaminants that he ingested that he was exposed to. Right. Um, and yet what's remarkable, at least to me, is that with all of the emphasis on this being the 17th anniversary, almost a generation has passed. Nobody, at least that I heard on television, discussed the 9/11 Commission, its findings, or the nexus between terrorism and immigration. And that's really a big problem, because if you're not willing to acknowledge that there's a problem, you're certainly not going to look to find solutions for the problem. Certainly that's the case with the leadership, so-called, of the Democratic Party. And, and look, uh, full disclosure, I'm a registered Democrat. I can't tell you the last time I voted for a Democrat. They infuriate me. They sicken me. You have the governor of the state of New York, one of the most populous states, the state that was hammered the worst on 9-11, the state uh, that is home to to the Mexican drug cartel's central processing hub, if you will, in New York City, which is why El Chapo Guzman, the leader of the most violent Mexican drug gang, is sitting in jail in Manhattan preparing uh, for his trial in the Eastern District of New York, In Queens, Brooklyn and Queens, why on earth do you think that this drug cartel set up shop in the city of the country that has the largest, best trained, best equipped police department, certainly in the United States, if not the world, the NYPD. I had the privilege of working with members of the NYPD throughout my 30-year career, and it is a wonderful department, lots of great people I was very proud to work with. But yet, why would you, as a leader of a cartel, set up shop here? You would think this would be the last place, and the answer is simple. It's because New York is a sanctuary city. It's because criminals and fugitives and terrorists know that if they violate our borders, if they violate our immigration laws, and they all do, by the way, in order to do what they do, either how they come here, the crimes that they're subsequently convicted of, uh, all of these render them deportable. So then, why do they come here? Because they know that they have uh, guardians, if you will. And who are the guardians? The mayors and governors who establish their domains as sanctuaries. Boy, if ever there was a misuse of a word, it's the word sanctuary. We're going to pay a little attention to language today, also. I think it's only fitting. But I certainly wouldn't call New York a sanctuary, it's a magnet. It's a magnet for fugitives, as we see. It's a magnet for the drug cartels and violent gangs, and as we've seen frequently, terrorists. And I have no doubt that part of the reason that New York attracts that kind of uh, human detritus, and if Nancy Pelosi has a cow, I want to see, it, I want to see her give birth to that cow. Uh, you know, I, I will never forget her. Attacking President Trump, and I don't always agree with President Trump's use of language, sometimes uh, inelegant, doesn't quite go far enough. But when he called MS-13 gang members animals, I I, I was just upset because I thought he was being unfair to animals. And Pelosi made it clear that she didn't stand with the victims of MS-13, but she stands with MS-13. That's what's so mind-boggling to me that the Democratic Party has become the guardians of criminals and terrorists and unscrupulous employers. Whatever happened to the Democratic Party that looked out for American workers to make certain that they wouldn't be displaced by foreign workers, to make certain that they would be treated fairly in the workplace? I'm a labor guy. My dad was a construction worker. He was a tradesman. He'll always be my biggest hero. He and my mom, my biggest heroes. Tough work being a construction worker. A construction worker just died yesterday when a wall collapsed in Brooklyn. Construction is more dangerous than law enforcement. Those guys are, are courageous. They're hardworking. They're conscientious. Uh, they're straightforward. They're straight shooters. I grew up with construction workers, and there's nothing like them. Blue-collar America is the heart and soul of the United States. Um And sometimes when Donald Trump goes off with his language, I I understand why, because he sounds very much like the construction workers that I grew up around. That's just the way they are. And they're solid, and they're honest, and they're no-nonsense kind of guys. But goodness, when he referred to these vicious killers, these thugs, these gang members, uh, as animals, and Pelosi was upset When you have Cuomo calling ICE agents thugs, when we have children being murdered in New York by gang members, think of Junior up in the Bronx just a couple of months ago. They just arrested yet another defendant. This is a Dominican-linked gang. If anything, New York should be begging ICE to send more of their agents here to confront the, the, the Trinitarios, which is that violent gang that purportedly, allegedly... Uh, members of that gang, participated in the murder of that 15-year-old boy because of the supposed case of mistaken identity. That young man should have had a brilliant future. He was part of the NYPD Explorer program. Uh, everybody in that community up in, uh, in, the, in the Washington Heights, so I believe it was Washington Heights or the Bronx, thought the world of him. He was helpful to everybody, and all that he wanted to do was live his life, grow up, and be a success story. So at the age of 15, he's cut to ribbons by these thugs, by these vicious, I don't even know what words to use. But I'm sure that if Nancy Pelosi heard me say it, she'd probably have a cow. I just want to be there when the cow is born. It's amazing how language has been altered to foist crimes on America by our own political leaders, so-called. And and so when when I look back at 9-11, when I look back at the findings of the 9-11 commission, I provided testimony, as you probably know, to the commission. Uh, I have arrested terrorists and investigated terrorists in my career. And that's something else nobody talks about. The second largest contingent of law enforcement officers who were assigned to the JTTF, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, were immigration agents because terrorists who were foreign nationals, who were aliens, by the very nature of their crimes, violate our immigration laws, Uh, by the way they enter the country, either by committing visa fraud, making false claims to refugee status, or by evading the inspections process altogether by running our borders or perhaps stowing away on ships. The point is that makes them vulnerable to immigration law enforcement, something that apparently the Democrats would rather not see happen. I was recently on a program, and I had made the point to the host of that television program that I'm a registered Democrat, and and he got a little agitated and said, why in the world would you be a Democrat? And uh, unfortunately, I had a bad Internet connection. I was Skyping in, and I really wanted to know how fabulous is the Republican Party. I mean, we have no choice. It seems as though the Republicans um, are the lesser of two evils, almost invariably. But I'm going to make no bones about this because I've always called them the way I see them, the way my dad did, the way his buddies in the construction trades did. Yes, my parents made sure I went to college. In fact, not only was I the first member of the family, uh, from my parents' perspective, to go to college, I was the first to go to high school. My mother had a fourth-grade education, came here legally as an immigrant at the age of 13 ahead of the Holocaust. Her mother, my grandmother, was killed in Poland because of our religion. My dad had an eighth-grade education. So please understand um, that I understand this whole issue of immigration as an insider, not just as an insider because I worked for the old INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, but it's truly the story of my family. My father was born here, but his parents and, and his siblings came here from Russia over 100 years ago, looking for a better life, looking for freedom. But really and truly... If you examine what the Republicans have done, they are not eager to see immigration law enforcement. Let's remember that Jimmy Carter started this business about Orwellian newspeak, and we're going to get to that momentarily. But on the heels of the Carter administration, you had the Reagan administration, which provided the biggest amnesty in the history of the United States. DACA could certainly surpass it. It would easily eclipse it. That's why we must not allow DACA to go forward. But the Reagan amnesty was supposed to involve a million aliens. It wound up involving nearly four million illegal aliens. The Reagan administration didn't hire any more agents. And I know people say, well, the president, President Reagan said that was the biggest mistake of his career. I I don't give him a pass. The other president, the buck stops here, to quote Harry Truman, uh, a Democrat that I did have tremendous respect for. Um, But the buck stops here. And he didn't hire more agents. And his amnesty bill, and most people who weren't in government don't know this, but the Reagan amnesty under the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986 included a provision of confidentiality. Now, what did that mean? It meant that if an alien became lawfully present because of that amnesty, his amnesty file or her amnesty file could not be shared with any other law enforcement agency. Here's how it normally works. Back when I was an agent, if the FBI came to me or a New York City police officer, a detective working a homicide came to me or DEA or whomever, and they said, Mike, we need an immigration file because an alien in the United States is under investigation for a homicide, for kidnapping, for terrorism, for drug trafficking, firearms trafficking, we would share the intelligence. We would say, here's the file. They would sign Notification that we made a disclosure to protect the privacy of the individual, and they would indicate that you know Detective Smith of, of the you know sixty eighth precinct uh, reviewed the file and the reason that he reviewed the file. The FBI agent Jones reviewed the file for whatever purpose, and we would easily and, and would happily turn it over. If we didn't, we'd be in trouble because then you're obstructing an official investigation, and they shared intelligence with us. But Where the amnesty file was concerned, they put a big red flag on top of that part of the file with a warning that if you disclosed anything, and I mean anything, from that amnesty file, I would have been committing a felony that carried a five-year prison sentence. Why? Why? It was done to encourage aliens to come out of the shadows and lie and commit fraud. And that's something Ted Kennedy wanted that's why every time I hear about bipartisan immigration bills, oh, my God, my heart sinks. Because every time they get together, if you want to talk about collusion, look at immigration and look at both parties, and boy, will you see collusion. Remember the eight gangsters, as I called the Gang of Eight? Both parties were in in bed on this one, folks. They were as adversarial as the wrestlers I watched when I was a kid. You know, I I used to go to bed, really worked up when I was eight years old. I would see Buddy Rogers and Haystacks Calhoun and Antonina Rocco. Those of you old enough probably remember those names. Those of you too young, look them up. They were colorful wrestlers. They weren't killing each other. They put on a good show to pretend they were. But at the end of the day, they probably all went out and had dinner and a couple of drinks and laughed their tails off. That's what the Democrats and Republicans do. If you look at DACA, we're going to solve the DACA problem. We're going to take care of the children. The age cutoff is 37. What children? <clears throat> look, if this was really about children, I might have supported it. If the DREAM Act was really about children, I might have supported it. You know, If you came to America when you were 12 years old and you're now 18, go to an immigration office, bring with you, your your transcript from your school, your school ID, your last report card, and we'll work with you. See, the DREAM Act was never about children. That was the game that was played to make it palatable. Oh, they're helping the kids. Oh, well, we always help the kids, right? We are the most giving and compassionate and generous people, probably in the history of the world and on the face of the earth. When we hear about children, our hearts melt. And and that's fine. I'm very proud of America because of that. We need to be compassionate, particularly where kids are concerned. Children are precious. They're supposed to live decent lives with, with meaningful hopes for the future, that with hard work and so forth, they can realize their dreams. I just want to make sure we take care of American children before we take care of any other children, just as I, as a parent, took care of my children before I did anything to help anybody else's kids. That's common sense. If, God forbid, there's a building fire and your children, God forbid, are in the building, who are you going to look to save first, the child of a stranger or your own children? And if you tell me with a straight face that you would help a stranger's child before you go look for your own kid, get help, and maybe they ought to take your children away from you for being an irresponsible parent. Instincts tell you you help your own before you go anywhere else. And then... Once your kids are secure, if you can get back in the building, absolutely you go back in and look for the other children. But by nature, by instinct, you you help your own first. No one seems to give a damn about American children. You look at the actors and actresses. They go around the world to find some child to adopt from a third world country. And meanwhile, last year, there were hundreds of thousands of American children living in foster care who were desperate for a permanent home who are desperate to be able to hold an adult's hand and call that adult mom or dad but no it's not fashionable to these nitwits in hollywood they have to go 5,000 miles in their private jet to pluck some child out of a hellhole now that's fine i'm happy for the child but why the emphasis on kids from other parts of the world when so many american kids are in deep trouble It's like the nonsense of getting a pedigree puppy, I guess. It doesn't have that cachet. It's cool to say I got a child from fill-in-the-blank while we ignore kids who live in, in, in war zones in Chicago and elsewhere. Imagine if you could take a child out of the craziness of Chicago, the disasters that was created by Rahm Emanuel and his insane policies. Imagine if you could take that American child and give him or her a wonderful future in America. And if that makes me a xenophobe, then you're crazy. We need to help people around the world. The charity starts at home. It starts with American kids. It starts with American workers. Otherwise, what have we become? Soldiers don't go out there. American members of the armed forces don't go out there saving the whole world. Their primary focus, And the oath that they take is about the Constitution of the United States. It's about protecting America and Americans first and foremost. That's all that I'm looking for here. But I'm sure that the wackaloon Democrats would say, oh, my Cutler's a xenophobe. Well, I'll tell you what, if they want a title, I have a title for them. They're self-hating Americans. I believe that all Americans ought to be pulling together – you have pollsters and pundits and politicians emphasizing how different we are. The black vote, the Jewish vote, the Latino vote, baloney as Americans. And I don't care if you lean left, right, center, or whatever, if you're rational, if you're reasonable, if you're fair-minded, if. And we all want the same things, essentially. We want the military to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. We want the police to keep our streets safe keep the gangs and the drugs off our street corners so that we're safe walking to the near store or or, or going about our day-to-day lives. That's what we want. That's what we want. And we want to know that the schools can educate our children effectively so that any child willing to study hard and work hard can grow up and live the American dream, irrespective of what I have come to call superficial factors, you know, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, any American willing to work hard, should be able to write the next success story. But what we keep on doing is keep on flooding America with cheap, exploitable labor to drive down wages, drive Americans out of jobs. Mitt Romney, who betrayed Americans, said, we need to staple green cards onto the diplomas of foreign students so they don't go halfway across the world when they get their degrees. Really, Mitt? I have a better idea. Put American kids in those universities So when they get their degrees, they're likely to go no more than halfway across town, or at worst, halfway across the United States when they get their degrees. And I know that my Republican friends, my conservative friends may disagree. I have no problem with providing American kids with a free education if they can't afford one, provided that they study a curriculum that we need, not remedial basket weaving, but we need doctors, and let's pay for it. And I see some medical schools are doing that, and I agree with it. We need engineers, then let's do it. We need programmers, let's do it. I remember when I was a kid, I watched a program called What's My Line, and I still love the show. You know, back then when I was a kid, um, people on television programs knew that it was a privilege to be invited into people's homes. They dressed up. They very often wore tuxedos on these game shows, and they were polite. They were very witty, they were very funny, they were very smart, they were very thought-provoking, but they conducted themselves with dignity. It wasn't a food fight. Some of these programs, they look more like a home invasion than guests stopping by. And I remember on What's My Line where people had to guess what the careers were of the people who appeared on the program, these two very pretty young girls came on, and they were wearing those fancy, you know, Fluffy dresses, I I think they they called the the stuff in them crinoline, if I'm getting that right. You know, the party dresses. And they were very petite and very feminine. And it it was kind of interesting. They were 20 years old and they were house painters. When they graduated from high school, they decided they didn't want to go on to college. And that's fine. You don't have to go to college to be successful. Trade schools are important. Again, my dad was a tradesman. And I'll tell you what, I, I will put his skills and the skills of really talented tradesmen up against bankers and lawyers and accountants any day of the week, because those tradesmen are able to build something. They do; they can do something in the real world, not just on a piece of paper. They build this country. They build the buildings and the roads and the rail systems. They build our cars and they build trains and planes and you name it, and they do it. And for them, no job is too difficult, dirty, backbreaking, or dangerous. They go to work and they're happy to have a job, and they're happy to get a paycheck and pay their bills and support their families. So these two girls decided, we really don't want to go to college. What should we do? Well, at the time, the Labor Department realized there was a shortage of people in the construction trades. And if I remember the program properly, I hate to tell you how long ago it was. This is decades ago. I was a teenager when I saw the show. They decided to become house painters. And what the Labor Department did was they paid for the training so that anybody who wanted to be a carpenter or a bricklayer or a house painter could get the training for free. And that was how we filled the jobs that America needed. We didn't say, oh, let's bring lots of people in from India, Mexico, wherever. We looked to our own children and said, let's get some of these American kids into those trades if they're not – planning to go on to college and it made sense and it made sense when hurricane katrina hit the bush administration suspended the requirement of the i-9 the document you need to fill out when you're hired to prove that you're legally entitled to work in the united states so he suspended it so that people from mexico and other countries would be encouraged to go down there and rebuild new orleans Stroke of genius, George W. Wow. That was a golden opportunity to make lemonade out of lemons. Imagine if he had said, look, if you've had scrapes with the law, if you're having a problem supporting yourself or your family, if you want to learn the building trades, we're going to do an apprenticeship program. We'll help you rebuild your lives if you're willing to help us rebuild New Orleans. That would have been a win-win. No, of course not. Too good an opportunity to flood America with more foreign workers. That's what this has been about, both political parties, folks. Don't for a heartbeat misunderstand this. Both parties are happy to screw over American workers. The Democratic Party realizes that they're not selling something that most Americans want. So they say, hey, you know what? We'll bring in new voters. And the Republicans have been all, always been happy to find strategies that lower wages because the republican party and that's fine you know i understand this tends to be the party of the business owner the democratic party used to be the party of the worker and both sides of that labor management equation have reasonable desires concerns and goals and sometimes they have unreasonable on both sides that's how the world works if we're honest you know i compare labor management to the military You think back to D-Day, the brilliance of Eisenhower and the other generals which resulted in that resounding success, and that marked the beginning of the end of the Second World War, D-Day. Brilliant strategists. But if they didn't have those dedicated American soldiers willing to brave the gunfire, brave the mortar, brave the, the violence, it wouldn't have worked. Without the leadership of the generals, it wouldn't have worked. Without the courage... and and the patriotism of those unbelievable soldiers, it wouldn't have worked. You put them together, they were unstoppable. Well, labor management works kind of the same way in industry. Of course, no one's looking to lay down their lives. It's not a shooting situation, thank God. But it's supposed to be a team effort. It's supposed to be a team effort. And, yes, there's always negotiations. You know, if you go buy a new car, the salesman wants you to pay the most, and you want to pay the least, and you have a negotiation. That's how, that's how it works, the art of the deal, as President Trump would say. But when the Democratic Party knifed American workers in the back and said, you know what, let's flood America with cheap labor, when the labor unions said, well, we don't have enough members, let's bring in foreign workers, who cares if it's going to lower wages? If we can get them to pay union dues and we could fill up the ranks, we get more leverage, we get more money, the two elixirs of power, money and, and leverage today, very few people are standing with the average American worker with the exception of President Trump with the exception of Jeff Sessions I know that he's become controversial and I'm not going to get into that I don't know how to account for what's happening and not happening with Hillary but on the immigration issue, I know Jeff Sessions we were in a panel discussion together he quoted me from the floor of the Senate during the floor debate on comprehensive immigration reform I think he's a real good guy and They understand this. This is about protecting American jobs and American wages. Very simple. And the American people have been conned by the swindlers who are globalists. This isn't left-right, folks. This is right-wrong. This is right-wrong. Even after 9-11 commissioned warned that multiple failures of the immigration system were behind the ability of terrorists to attack America, these bums still can't bring themselves to do what's essential to protect America. It took America 44 months to win the Second World War after we were attacked at Pearl Harbor by the Japanese fleet. On 9-11, more people were killed by 19 terrorists than America lost at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. 44 months after uh, December 7, the war was over. America had built fleets of airplanes and ships and tanks and bazookas and radar. Hell, we built atom bombs with brand-new, unproven technology. We won the war. We were attacked by terrorists in 1993 at the CIA. A Pakistani by the name of McKenzie shoots up the CIA, kills two CIA officers, wounds three others, flees the country, because that's what foreign nationals who commit attacks and crimes in America can do. They have an escape hatch. In the case of Kansi, given the nature of his crimes, he was tracked down, brought back, put on trial, found guilty, and executed. It didn't bring back the dead. It didn't heal the wounds of those who were injured. certainly didn't help the grieving families. One month later, we had the first attack at the World Trade Center. Six dead, over 1,000 injured, a half billion in damages inflicted. Those bums almost brought the tower down sideways, 110 stories tall, 1,400 feet plus high, almost a quarter of a mile high building. They were vertical cities. Could you imagine if they had toppled one tower into the other? Nobody would have gotten out. It probably would have ruptured the seawall. Lower Manhattan would have been flooded. And it was clear that immigration fraud and other failures of the immigration system were behind the ability of those terrorists to enter the United States and hide in plain sight and bed themselves. And that's why on May 20th, 1997, I was called to participate in my first congressional hearing before the House Immigration Subcommittee on the issue of visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud. It was crystal clear to everybody. And the Clinton administration, not surprisingly, did nothing. In fact, they went in the opposite direction. They implemented a program known as Citizenship USA, where they ran 1.1 million applications for U.S. citizenship through the system so quickly, quicker than you-know-what goes through a goose, that thousands of aliens who were given citizenship got citizenship before their fingerprints came back. Some of those people that were naturalized should have been deported. By the way, the Trump administration has created an office that focuses specifically on aliens who acquire citizenship by committing fraud. Brilliant. Uh, They need to put more emphasis on fraud. That's the biggest vulnerability we have. You could build the most incredible wall on the Mexican border, but if you give an alien a green card or a citizenship, you're basically giving them the key to the door lock on our front door so that wall doesn't become relevant to them anymore. Immigration is a system. We need to look at all of the components. We're not looking at the components because immigration is not a law enforcement system. Immigration has morphed into a delivery system, and it delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable foreign labor, and not just at the bottom rung not just the illegal aliens, to do the physically demanding, backbreaking, and dangerous jobs, but at the upper levels where we talk about the H-1B visas and other such visas, all designed to flood America with cheap labor, foreign tourists, foreign students, and for the immigration attorneys out there, and they're to be found on both sides of the political aisle, an unlimited supply of clients for immigration lawyers. They don't have to chase ambulances anymore. They chase coyotes. They chase alien smugglers. And if we pass DACA, and if aliens who can claim and lie through their teeth that they came in before they were 16 can be as old as 37 now, if we are screwed up enough to do that, it will forever irrevocably undermine national security. We could be looking at 10 million or more illegal aliens. I kid you not. Just like Reagan said, a million, we wound up with three and a half to four million. This nonsense about, well, we've done 700,000. I mean, if they hold it at 700,000, maybe we can talk about that. But if you open the floodgates and say aliens who did not apply for whatever reason, well, let me tell you what will happen. There will be no interviews. There will be no field investigations. Aliens who have yet to arrive in the United States will be able to come here in a year or two claim to have come here 20 years ago and the adjudications officers will have no way of denying those applications so they will wind up approving them now here's the thing that I want you to focus on that it's something that I wrote about in my article for um, Front Page Magazine please go to the Front Page Magazine website But on September 11th of course Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, published my article, September 11, terror attack, 17 years later, the disturbing allegiances rather, of the Democratic Party. And here's what I want you all to understand. And you probably remember, in the days, weeks, months after 9-11, we kept hearing what became a mantra. In order to succeed, the terrorists only got to get it right once. For America to be safe, our officials must be right 100% of the time. So let's understand what that really means. Every single alien who enters the United States, doesn't matter how, legally, illegally, running the Canadian border, running the Mexican border, stowing away on ships, hang gliding in from Mexico or Canada, doesn't matter how they come. Coming with tourist visas, doesn't matter. Claiming political asylum, doesn't matter. Every alien who enters the United States, provides a terrorist with that one opportunity of getting it right. Asymmetrical warfare means that a tiny number of saboteurs of terrorists can inflict disproportionately huge, debilitating, and devastating havoc on America. They can kill lots of people. On 9-11, they turned crowded airliners into de facto cruise missiles, right? So we know that, you know, every year tens of thousands of aliens enter the United States legally and illegally? How many of them need to be terrorists for us to be in deep trouble? Similarly, every alien who files an application for an immigration benefit, and what I mean by that is permission to go to school, an application for political asylum, an application for green card, an application for U.S. citizenship through naturalization, every application, even if it's not approved, just filing for it, according to the 9-11 Commission, provides the alien with the opportunity to embed himself or herself. So think about that. We do 6 million applications per year right now with Citizenship and Immigration Services. DACA would dump unknown millions, maybe 10 million, maybe 8 million. We have no idea. We don't know how deep the water is in this murky pool. Okay? No one knows. And I'm writing an article about what that really means for America should be posted at front page in the coming week keep your eye out for front page magazine so what it really means is every alien who enters every application that's filed provides terrorists with an opportunity to attack us and yet we do nothing about it and when the trump administration tries to do something about it the courts block him members of his own party block him we have near riots all because the president is trying to learn the lessons of 9-11, as noted in the 9-11 Commission report, and he gets attacked as a xenophobe, as a, as a hater, as a hater. Wow. All because he's trying to do his job as commander-in-chief of America's armed forces and as commander-in-chief of America's federal law enforcement agencies. It's the use of language that has created the problem. Remember I said the president isn't as nuanced in language as I wish he was. My degree was in communications arts and sciences. I kind of cringe when I hear the president say things. You know, his enemies referred to the travel ban, which wasn't the travel ban, and foolishly the president talked about his travel ban. Goodness gracious, Mr. President, stop. Stop. Think this one through you will have a conversation with Jeff Sessions. I'm sure he could give you some guidance here. It was an entry restriction, not based on an arbitrary and capricious executive order like DACA, but based on law that is established in, in, in the Immigration Act that has been on the books since 1952. And I have no doubt, I have no doubt, that the prior law, before the, before the 52 Act was passed, probably a similar language. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to surmise it. But nevertheless, 1952 is when this piece of legislation was enacted. Let me read it to you, by the way. It's very, very straightforward, and you'll see how all the screaming is for nothing. And these judges that are screaming about this being unconstitutional, if they think it's unconstitutional, they're in the wrong business. They certainly shouldn't be sitting on a bench, maybe a park bench, but not a bench in a courtroom. This is under Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182, small f. The title of this section of law, by the way, Suspension of Entry or Imposition of Restrictions by President. It's just two or three sentences, folks. Real quick, here it comes. Whenever the President finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. I'm going to stop for a moment. Detrimental to the interest. How low a bar is that? It doesn't say the alien has an atom bomb, the Ebola virus killed 48 people. No. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any alien or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. He, that is to say the president, folks, he may by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens. Did you hear what I just said? All aliens. Or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants. doesn't matter if they have green cards. Or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions that he may deem to be appropriate. In theory, President Trump could go on national TV and say, I've just issued Proclamation and unless you're an American citizen, I will not allow you to enter the United States. He has that right, it's in the law, it's designed to protect us. What's unconstitutional about what he did? And of course, they always say, Well, Muslim majority country, Indonesia is a Muslim majority country, wasn't on the list, and Indonesia has the largest population of any muslim majority country so if the president was out to stop the flow of muslims into america he's incompetent because he left out saudi arabia he left out indonesia he left out other countries indonesia by itself has roughly as many people as did all the countries on the list that he did put on the list so was this about keeping out muslims no this was about keeping out aliens who can't be vetted Aliens whose governments are essentially at war with us I mean, think of Iran My concern about Iran is as we ramp up sanctions They're going to be more motivated to take action And a week earlier, I wrote an article And I discussed it on my program About two Iranian sleepers who were arrested in the United States Targeting people and Israeli-linked and Jewish-linked organizations in the United States Possibly for assassination they're charged with so we have a serious problem a president trying to address the problem and judges and politicians particularly the democrats doing everything possible to thwart his efforts to protect us could you imagine if there was an attack the way they would scream you incompetent president why didn't you protect us he tries to protect us then he becomes a xenophobe so now we have to Consider George Orwell. I wrote an article a while back for the social contract. I write long pieces for them. Um, I think this article might have been on the order of 20-odd pages. I mean, these, these, are, these are big articles. Uh, the fall edition, I think I mentioned it earlier, is going to be on Sanctuary Country, how really we've never been determined, at least for decades, to really enforce the immigration laws. Very important article. But I wrote an article about language wars and the road to tyranny is paved with language censorship. That's what I wrote about. So what we keep hearing, political correctness. We heard that from the president. They're too politically correct. This isn't political correctness. This is Orwellian newspeak. Human beings think with words. If you can eliminate the words, you eliminate the thoughts the words represent. That's why they've done everything imaginable, the globalists, to expunge the word alien from the conversation. By calling every foreign national an immigrant, people have gotten to the point where they really believe that anybody who's not a citizen is an immigrant. That's what's happened. The Associated Press has something known as a style book. When I went to college, we had a style book And the style book was to keep us consistent in punctuation, in grammar, and in footnoting. The Associated Press style book goes further. It also tells us what language we can use. So if you punch in illegal alien, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the Associated Press boasts that their program, because it's a computer program, can be found in classrooms, boardrooms, and newsrooms around the United States. They've become the Ministry of Truth right out of 1984. Please read 1984. This is Orwellian newspeak, and we're seeing the same thing with Twitter. In fact, the Center for Immigration Studies wanted to run some ads on Twitter, but because they used the word illegal alien, they were turned down and told they were engaging in hate speech. By the way, the word alien appears in the DREAM Act. The A in DREAM Act is alien, as in alien minors. doesn't matter if we're hypocritical. doesn't matter that Chuck Schumer says that trespass is dangerous, and when people trespass on critical infrastructure or, nat- or national landmarks, they should go to year- jail for five years. But the same Chuck Schumer says when you trespass on America, if you're an alien, we should give you citizenship for trespassing. Never mind the hypocrisy. These folks are whiz kids at hypocrisy and disconnecting and obfuscating. My goodness gracious. So what I want to do is, is read this to you. This is an excerpt from my article, The Social Contract. Please go online and check it out. It's free. It's there to be thought-provoking. That's my goal. And so I'm going to read, first of all, a couple paragraphs that's from my article, and then I'm going to give you this quote from the um, Appendix from the book 1984 Written by George Orwell And you'll see how language has come to be used As a weapon against freedom and democracy Remember something When rebels overthrow a government The first thing they seize After they seize the airport To make sure the troops can't come in from behind them And stop them They seize newspapers, radios and televisions They control the flow of information Knowledge is power and they want to make certain to take that power from the people, not power to the people, from the people. So here's how it starts out. This is an excerpt from Language Wars, my article for the social contract, a couple, about a year or two ago. Control of language, censorship, is the first step along the path to the destruction of the First Amendment and subsequently all other freedoms. Without free speech, no other freedoms are possible left unchecked, an attack on words may bring us to the precipice of totalitarianism. Political correctness, either by design or by exploitation of those who saw that golden opportunity to exploit political correctness, has morphed into censorship to alter perceptions about broader issues. This is not unlike the device of newspeak, a central component of 1984, George Orwell's 1949 novel about a dystopian state. Newspeak was the term Orwell used to describe a language that was created by the government to slowly but inexorably expunge ever more words from the vernacular of its hapless citizens. Essentially, Newspeak was censorship on steroids based on the idea that control of language would lead to control of thought control of language coupled with extreme surveillance of its citizens that include the installation of telescreens, television monitoring devices in citizens' homes that broadcast a constant barrage of programming from the omnipresent Big Brother created the ultimate police state. By the way, today, forget about that. Think of the way the cell phone that you carry spies on you, how the TV in your house may be eavesdropping along with the smart speakers. Are we that far from 1984 and the telescreen? But let me continue on. A detailed explanation of Newspeak is found in this paragraph from the appendix to Orwell's novel under the title, The Principles of Newspeak. Now, this is from Orwell. Now, think when I, as I read this, please think about where we are today and with people telling us what constitutes hate speech as a means of shutting down conversation, folks. We're living in a perilous era. We're living in a very perilous era. Here we go. The purpose of Newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression for the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees of Ingsoc, Ingsoc, I-N-G-S-O-C. It was the uh, Newspeak term for the English Socialist Party. That was the government in charge of the mythical country created in 1984, just to explain that to you. okay? So the, so for the worldview of mental habits proper to the devotees of Ingsoc, but to make all other modes of thought impossible, it was intended that when new speak had been adopted once and for all and old speak, forgotten, that's what we speak now, a heretical thought, that is a thought diverging from the principles of Ingsoc, should be literally unthinkable, at least so far as thought is dependent on words. Its vocabulary was so constructed as to give exact and often very subtle expression to every meaning that a party member could properly wish to express while excluding all other meanings and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. This was done partly by the invention of new words, but chiefly, by eliminating undesirable words and by stripping each of such words as remained of unorthodox meanings and so far as possible of all secondary meanings whatsoever. To give a single example, the word free still existed in Newspeak, but it could only be used in such statements as, and this is a quote, this dog is free from lice or this field is free from weeds. It could not be used in its old sense of politically free or intellectually free since political and intellectual freedom no longer existed even as concepts and was therefore of necessity nameless. Quite apart from the suppression of of definitely heretical words, reduction of vocabulary was regarded as an end in itself and no word that could be dispensed with was allowed to survive. Newspeak was designed not to extend, but to diminish the range of thought, and this purpose was indirectly assisted by cutting the choice of words down to a minimum. And then I go on and write this. That, that's the end of the quote from the appendix from Orwell's 1984, and then I follow it up by saying this. Today, the elimination of words has certainly been expedited by the use of social media such as Twitter, which limits the number of characters that can be transmitted. America has gone from having a highly literate population to a country where most people are unwilling to read more than the headlines of articles. College campuses, which used to be the bastions of free speech and debate, now provide safe spaces to keep the ears and minds of the students from hearing alternative perspectives and perish the thought, the truth. Certainly democracy is anything but safe when safe spaces are imposed on college campuses. Is that not where we are today? Don't you dare use the word alien, unless, of course, it's the A and DREAM Act, but by now most people have forgotten that the term DREAM Act is actually an acronym. This is how close we are to losing our freedoms and our democracy. And think about how people are quick to jump on the bandwagon without thought. Um, I was in an Apple store getting my, my iPhone fixed, and the young lady asked me for ID and saw my retired credentials and said, my goodness, what is that? And I said, well, I used to work for the INS. I was an agent. And she got a little upset and said, well, you know, we're a nation of immigrants. I said, yes, but we're not a nation of trespassers. We certainly should admit immigrants. My own mother came here as an immigrant. My dad's parents came as immigrants. My first wife, who died of cancer many years ago, her family were in the concentration camps. They came as immigrants. They were here legally. I said, the difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. Or as I had said when I was on Laura Ingraham's show a couple of weeks ago with Jason Chaffetz, Uh, the difference between a bank robber and a bank customer. And she says, yes, but we're a nation of immigrants. So in her mind, the word alien is gone. You talk about foreign nationals, automatically, what word are we talking about? Immigrants. The word alien has been expunged. It doesn't exist. If you're not willing or able to make a clear distinction between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens, then our borders are rendered meaningless. The fact that we spend almost $14 billion per year on Customs and Border Protection is apparently a waste of money because they're all immigrants. It doesn't matter how you come here. If you come here from another country, you're an immigrant. That's all that seems to matter. It doesn't matter if you break in. It doesn't matter if you lie about your name because you're an immigrant, and we're a nation of immigrants. And if anyone dares suggest that we throw an immigrant out, even immigrants who rape children, immigrants who kill people, immigrants who sell drugs, doesn't matter. They're immigrants. We're a nation of immigrants. Why would you make them leave? You know, one of the biggest problems that we have in law enforcement is the issue of recidivism. You put a guy in jail, he sits there for 10 years, he comes out. How many of them go back and commit more crimes? In the case of aliens who can be deported, we've solved the problem of recidivism by removing them from the United States. You see? But you have mayors of sanctuary cities that don't want that to happen, governors of sanctuary cities that say, oh, no, no, don't you do that. Never mind recidivism. Never mind that we optimistically call jails sometimes correctional facilities. Why do they call them correctional facilities? We're trying to correct the sociopathic criminal behavior of the bad guys. But very often it doesn't work. But why in the world shouldn't we have the right to say you're out of here? If you go to a bar and carry on and break stuff, the bouncer comes and tosses you out to the curb, rightfully so. But apparently America no longer has that right. It doesn't matter what the 9-11 Commission had to say. All that matters is that immigrants are good because America was built by immigrants. And by eliminating the distinction, never mind that interior enforcement of the immigration laws is essential to national security. My article, and I hope you go to front page and please post it on Facebook and Twitter, whatever you're going to do. I'm not big on social media. I'm kind of a techno-dinosaur. But please spread the news about my articles to as many folks as you can, about my radio program to as many folks as you can. But this is from the official report, 9-11 and terrorist travel. Thus abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. It would remain largely unknown since no agency of the U.S. government analyzed terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant that the critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. You would think with that warning, with that statement, people would say, we need to help ICE. No, 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 that's not going to happen. We are a nation of immigrants They're not aliens, they're immigrants This is right out of Orwell Finally, same report said this Once terrorists had entered the United States Their next challenge was to find a way to remain here Their primary method was immigration fraud For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories When they arrived in the United States Mahmoud Abu Alima involved in both the World Trade Center and Landmark plots received temporary residence under the Seasonal Agriculture Worker Program after falsely claiming he picked beans in Florida. Mohamed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa and then applied for permanent residency under the Agriculture Worker Program, and the list goes on. And then what I've provided in my article are articles that I've written previously, students that have gone missing in America, Iranian agents charged with targeting U.S. locations, Somali refugees busted in Tucson, involved with fraud, and they're believed to be terrorists. Jihadis and drug cartels at our border. And then I even wrote about the Saudi graduate of an al-Qaeda training camp who was arrested in Oklahoma in 2016, believe it or not, enrolling in flight school. He had trained with the 9-11 hijackers in the Middle East in 2000. They found his fingerprints in the same training camp. Immigration agents working with the FBI are trying to track these bums down before there's a loud kaboom and a lot of dead bodies. And what does Governor Cuomo say? Well, those immigration agents are thugs. They're going after the immigrants, and we're going to protect the immigrants. There is no longer a distinction in, in their world between illegal aliens and criminals and uh, true immigrants. Who's really being insulted the most? The lawful immigrants who follow the law, did everything they're supposed to, thought they were getting away from the craziness and the violence of their home countries, only to find that sanctuary cities have invited those thugs here where they pose a threat to them once again. Lawful immigrants tend to be more law-abiding than U.S. citizens. Illegal aliens are much, much, much more prone to committing criminal acts. But in this new world of Orwell, Ministry of Truth, nobody wants to make that clear distinction between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens. And the greatest harm is being done to the lawful immigrants and America's proud tradition of welcoming immigrants into our country. We admit a million a year that's more than the rest of the world combined. But let's not bother with facts because, after all, um, that's not what the other side wants. They want to use language as a weapon by obfuscating the truth. We've got to get involved, folks. We truly have to take this battle up because our children, their children, and our country's future all depend on it. I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport, and what this means is please get your voices heard. Go to the town hall meetings when candidates present themselves when they seek to run for office. Make certain that the elected officials find out that we're not as dumb as they hope that we are. And please have those conversations with your friends and neighbors. Practice the First Amendment. Otherwise, God forbid, it could become a vestigial organ. I thank you for joining me. I hope you will join me again next week, same time, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody.